0: Greetings. It is June 23rd, 2022, and this is going to be the last Torah class for a while. An unknown while. Uh, And so we get to complete, how do we complete a cycle of study that's been going on for so long? I like that we're a link in the chain that goes on way, way longer than we have. And so I want to um, say a blessing, and then I have two, two things I want to share with you today that I, I have no idea how, how I'll squeeze them in, but it'll, it'll be good enough. And let's, the blessing for studying Torah is Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam asher kitshanu b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, source of life, who makes us holy with your mitzvot and has given us the mitzvah of engaging in words of Torah. Now, you know, in the um, prayer book, the prayer for studying Torah is a very interesting, um, very interesting wording. It says, uh, Ha'arevna, I'm not finding it, so I'll just share it with you. Um, Rabbi Ellen, if you find it, please do. Wait, I'm almost there. Yeah, here it is. It says, in addition to that blessing, we do La suk Torah. There's this other one, it says, Ha'arevna, now, Haarev can mean, what does it mean? Transmit to us, Adonai our God, your Torah's words into our mouth. But Haarev can also mean sweeten. And so, in this, there's a very old uh, take on this blessing that uh, may the words of Torah be sweetened in our mouths through our study together, enhanced make us stimulate our taste buds, right? Isn't that a lovely image? And of course it's 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 gustatory, it's um, food related, which is a great way of how we think of ingesting knowledge and chewing on it and digesting it, all of that beautiful stuff. So before we get into the portion, I thought as a way of closure, um, I could share with you a piece of of Zohar, a famous passage in Zohar that describes, that's a parable about how to study Torah. There are many, but I don't have time to share a lot with you. So I'm gonna share this one with you for certain. Let me share my screen. And here it is. Can you see that? um the facts the the uh, scanning the scanner on the the copy machine wasn't working and then i realized okay i'll just take a picture of the page so i did okay listen to this story i think i will prime you by saying i love how it's a kind of uh, uh inversion of Typical of a typical spiritual story motif, of that you have to get to the essence of the matter, and that means going off to the mountaintop, and and this is the exact opposite, which I find so so delightful um, as a way of understanding this approach to Torah that we that the Jewish people have taken for so long. While we're getting to the essence, we're also not. Here, listen to this. There was a man who lived in the mountains. He knew nothing about those who lived in the city. He sowed wheat and ate the kernels raw. One day he entered the city. They brought him good bread. He said, what is this for? They said bread to eat. He ate and it tasted very good. He said, what's it made of? And they said, wheat. Later they brought him cakes kneaded in an oil. He tasted them and said, what are these made of? They said, wheat. Finally, they brought him royal pastry made with honey and oil. He said, and what are these made of? And they said, wheat. He said, ah, I'm the master of all of these for I eat the essence of all of these wheat. Because of that view, he knew nothing of the delights of the world. They were lost to him. So it is one with one who grasps the principle and does not know all those delectable delights deriving and diverging from that principle. So instead of uh, so for studying Torah even it's a paradox even as we're trying to get to the essence the richness the richness and delight of of doing what we're doing with the text is where the action is and if we don't do that we're kind of Dummies, so the analogy is reading the text without doing everything that we do with it. That's what Torah is for. And that is the Jewish way of studying our sacred text. I wanted to say it again at the end here so that you don't think that we're just engaged in like casuistry and word play and wasted time. This isn't the wasted time. This is it, this beautiful engagement with our hearts and minds in the text, this is it. This is the Jewish way of studying. So if you come to a passage that's troubling to you, get together with some people, you know, have fun. It's delightful, make it tasty. Right, that's, we're, we're, we're bakers, we're, we're, we're pastry chefs, we're, this is the beautiful activity that we're engaged in. I love that. That's from this book by Danny Matt, which some of you may know. Oh, excuse me, I have to spotlight myself. I don't think you see me, just a sec. I really recommend this book, everyone. The Essential Kabbalah, The Heart of Jewish Mysticism by Danny Matt, which has these juicy excerpts from the Kabbalah so you don't have to wade through the impossible parts. Um, So that's where this is from. And in his footnotes, see this story, he says, he reads, there's an earlier, Mid oh, so he has he a nice comment. In, uh, he, this man misses the delights reserved for those who savor the variety of flavors and the range of meanings. And then Danny Matt says, an earlier parable also compares Torah to wheat and insists on its creative transformation. So I'm gonna read you one more. There was a king who had two servants, He loved them completely. He gave each of them a measure of wheat and a bundle of flax. In Jewish parables, the king is always God. He gave each of them a measure of wheat and a bundle of flax. The wise servant, what did he do? He took the flax and wove it into cloth. He took the wheat and made it into flour. He sifted it, ground it, kneaded it and baked it. Then he arranged it on the table and spread the cloth over it. He left it until the king arrived. The foolish servant did nothing at all. After some time, the king came to his palace and said, my children, bring me what I gave to you. One brought out the bread on the table covered with cloth. The other brought out the wheat in a box with the bundle of flax on top. When the Blessed Holy One gave the Torah to Israel, he gave it to them as wheat from which to produce bread and as flax from which to produce cloth. Beautiful, huh? That's our job. And it, Abigail, I'll, I'll tell you in a second. Um, that's our job as students of Torah is to make wheat into bread and flax into cloth, to weave it, to knead it, all those beautiful physical images of the skill and um, work it takes, but then the light that it brings. There's another m- even more ancient uh, story about the challah, uh, which is simply that we're partners with the divine. The divine gives us the sun, the rain, the wheat kernels. And then our job is to further transform it into that which will sustain and nourish us, the breath. And that's the Jewish understanding of Torah. It is not two dimensional, nor is it inert. It's waiting for us to process it. Into, into nourishment for our spirits and guidance for ourselves. That's what we do. So again, this is not like studying a course in college and it's not like reading the word of God. This is the Jewish way of doing Torah, of making Torah, of studying Torah. And it bears repeating over and over again so that you don't think we're just as I said, engaged in some kind of like, well, the text doesn't really say that. That's not how we've survived this long, everybody. So those are my closing kind of framework to I want to send you off with. Living Torah, as Rob says. Abigail, the word is he'erav. He, ayin, resh, vav. Not herav, uh, like rabbi. So if you look up the root, arov, erev, it's got a lot of different meanings and you can have fun with that. Okay, so with that in mind, let's turn to the Torah portion. The Torah portion is, shlach lecha, which is the portion where Moses sends forth 12 scouts to reconnoiter the land. Um, in order to bring back a report about whether it's a good land, whether it's fortified, what it's like. So they're reconnoitering because the children of Israel about to go up to the land. This is, as many of you know, an incredibly dramatic portion because the scouts come back. They are men of repute. They're all leaders. You know, it's a congressional committee, whatever. And 10 of them um, say, it's indeed a good land, but we saw giants there and we're never going to be able to accomplish this. Two of the scouts, Joshua and Caleb say, no, no, no. It's a good land and we can do this. The people listen to the 10 and as is the want of the children of Israel, Immediately start crying and freaking out. It's too scary. We'll never do it, etc. There's the famous line, which I've talked about every year, that the scouts, the 10 scouts say, We felt like grasshoppers, and so we must have appeared to them. One of the, again, one of the most juicy lines in the Torah. Well, if you feel like grasshoppers and then you project that onto everyone else, then you're never gonna know forget about it, go home, give up. And all hell breaks loose. And Caleb tries to hush the people and say, we can do this, it's a very, very good land. And uh, then God's presence descends, appears, and says, I've had it. And without going into all the details, as you know, the result is he says, okay, all of you, You're never going to the promised land. Your carcasses are gonna drop in this wilderness. You're gonna wander for 40 years. Only your children will enter the land. Except for two people, Caleb and Joshua, because they had faith that they could, that this was achievable. So again, this is a parable, everyone. This is this is a the the physical landscape. Again, I, we've said this, but it, we always have to repeat it. The physical landscape of the land of Israel and of the wilderness is the physical landscape. Is the um, internal landscape of our journey? Are we going to be able to take it? Are we able to get there? Not if you think it's impossible. It's a classic classic story um, and um, that's basically the story so david kagan let's see barb said to me this part is so much about leadership courage and positivity thank you guess why we're reading it on my last class because it's going to be up to each of you to move forward with positivity courage faith and leadership because there's challenges ahead for the congregation, for the society, for, you know, we don't know what's ahead. David Kaken says, I believe that the two worthy spies, Joshua and Caleb are descendants of Judah and Joseph. Earlier, Judah and Joseph had a seminal conversation when Judah steps up to speak to Joseph. That's in Parshat Vayigash in Genesis. At a time when Joseph had accused his brothers of being spies Oh, David, you're right. I'm not going in that direction in this class, but that's so rich. I never made that connection. Ah, that's wonderful. Yes, we, this is a continuing, uh, a continuing. There's, a, there's an echo there that's very important. Thank you. And Naomi says, I love this Parsha and I can't believe we're here again, that it's been an entire year. I agree with you. But I never get tired of telling this story. So uh, where I wanna focus, because I did that, and why I shared that teaching from Zohar about digging, about needing and processing the text to make it something even richer, because I want to, as I've done before, but I'm still so taken it. I wanna look at Caleb with you all. This hero of the story, Caleb and Joshua. Joshua, we know he takes over from Moses, but it turns out Caleb is is equally important in the telling. So the question is, what what is it about Caleb? And we've talked about this before, but I felt it was the message that I wanted to leave you with today. What is it about Caleb that gives him this capacity? Yes, his name Kalev means he is like a heart or he is heart. So uh, that is a big part of it. And we'll look at the clues in the text that confirm that. He uses intuition. Thank you, Joan. But heart also here means he has courage because the word courage comes from Kul, which is heart. When you say take heart So he looks deeply into himself to find the truth, John says. Let's look at the text and see how the rabbis read that insight into the text. It's really fun. And as I said, have fun. This is really fun. We'll make something really tasty here. So I'm gonna share the screen. There we go. So let's read this really closely. When Moses sent them, oh no, let me say something else first to set the stage. I looked up how many times Caleb is mentioned in this Parsha and, in the, and then later in the book of Numbers and then in the book of Deuteronomy and then in the book of Joshua and then in the book of Judges. Caleb doesn't go away. Caleb shows up over and over again and uh, okay, so let's start reading. When Moses sent them to scout the land of Canaan, Latur et he said to them, Alu zebanegev Negev ve'alitem et Go up into the Negev and then keep going up into the mountain or the hill country. So there's an ascent. Remember, we go, we make aliyah to Israel, we go up. Jerusalem is 3,000 feet above sea level. But there's an ascent here from where? They're coming from Egypt. Egypt is the place of descent, of tightness, of de- um, denigration, of degradation, smallness. And they're going to a promised land. That is in our understanding, when you get to the mountaintop, you have a big view, right? You've changed your perspective. And see, or eat him. The land, mahi, what is it? Ha-am, and the people dwell there. He-chazaku. Oh, I'm sorry, I have to leave Gail, take good care. Hechazaku, Haraphah, are they strong or weak? Hamatu Imrav, few or many? Umaha arets, Asherhu Yoshevpa, Hatovahi, Imra'a. And is the land in which they dwell good or bad? Uma rima Sherhu Are the towns they live in? open or fortified? Umaha Haaretz, so we've got Aretz, Aretz, Aretz. And is the land rich or poor, the soil? Ha yesh ba oh, let's see what Naomi said. An ascent, expansion from the narrow place of stiff-neckedness to promise optimism and heart. So well said, Naomi. That is the journey that we hope to be on, the spiritual journey, so that when I die, when that time comes, I'm not clenched, I'm not fearful. Rather, I'm open and ready. That's the spiritual journey. There's a famous, another famous saying about Rabbi Meir, a great rabbi, when he said, when babies come into the world, Their hands are clenched and he doesn't, he's not dissing babies, don't worry. Uh, uh, But that's who we are when we come into this world, we are grasping the world. And then we spend our life learning how to let it go so that we can live with openness and grace. Barbara asks, is there a relationship between Lev and Levite? Well, Lev is Lamed Bet and Levi is Lamed Vav Yud. So I've never made that connection because the letters are different, but it would be a beautiful piece of um, uh, bread making for you if you know what I mean. Okay, this line is crucial. Uh, Does the land have an x? im ayin? Okay, is it wooded or not? However, we can also translate it, and this is where the 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 rabbis go in their midrash. Hayesh ba'ates, aates is singular. Does it have the tree? Im ayin, ayin means nothing. Um, So does it have the tree and they say the tree of life or is there just a void there? Keep that in mind. <speaking> in <Hebrew> Strengthen yourselves. They translate take pains, but I want you to hear it this way. Strengthen yourselves. <speaking in Hebrew> and take from the fruit of the land, Ha'aretz, Ha'aretz, Ha'aretz. This, 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 this place, this beautiful place we're going. Okay, so they go up to the land and they scout it out and they come back after 40 days, that classic period. And they go to Aaron and Moses And they say what I said, we came to the land, it does indeed flow with milk and honey, we've brought back some of its fruit, but the people are gigantic. Caleb hushed the people before Moses and said, let us by all means go up, and we shall gain possession of it. Here's the word up again, alo na'aleh, when a verb is doubled in Torah, it's absolutely emphatic. We can rise, we can ascend and inherit this land. We can, we can, we shall overcome. Oops, didn't mean to do that. that is caleb's message we shall overcome isn't that cool well diane we celebrate caleb for bravery but what about the fact that he was promoting war that's not how i'm reading it today i'm i'm reading this you were here at the beginning it's like forget about war and the peoples in the land this is about making torah into something sweet for us And we can talk about the military aspects of the Torah another time, but not today. I'm just, I'm making a different dish. Um, In the Midrash, Caleb that, that I'm citing, Caleb ascends. He used the word ascent over and over again and comes to a place. Oh, I forgot a crucial spot, forgive me. Oh my goodness, this will help. So he sends them off. I'm sorry, I forgot to read this. they went up and scouted the land. Vaya'alu, by They went up through the Negev. Um, uh. Wait, I'm missing a line here. Um, Oh, sorry, just give me a sec. BTM, UMAHA ARETS, Vaya Alu, Vaya Alu, here it is, sorry. Vaya Alu Vanekev, Vaya VO Ad chevron. Okay, here's what the rabbis do with this. They went up to the Negev via ad-Hevron. Now, the problem is it should say ad-Hevron. And they came to Hevron. But it says they went up from to the Negev and he came to Hevron. Okay, keep that in mind. For some reason, it's Singular. Now, I think I'm going to pause and look at you all for a minute. So what happens here is that what we will find in the future references to Caleb, and I don't want to show them all to you, is that it says over and over, only Caleb and Joshua entered of the whole generation entered the land. It says it six times between here and the beginning of Deuteronomy. So we hear about Caleb or Caleb and Joshua six times in the next 20 chapters with exactly the same word. So if you're a Midrash writer, there's a big ingredient of Caleb here in the story. Why are we hearing this over and over? And so you have to ask, what's so special about Caleb? Furthermore, when we get to the book of Joshua, where they actually conquer the land, it says in chapter 14 of Joshua, Caleb approached Joshua and said, give me Hebron. Okay, so what do do we know about Hebron? Hebron is the highest place in the Judean hills, higher than Jerusalem. It's where Abraham buys the cave of the Machpelah way back in Genesis and is the burial cave of the patriarchs and matriarchs. It is the highest place where our ancestors lie in the promised land. The children of Israel have descended drastically, tragically from that high place. And now they, can they get back there, That's the question. Abraham was there. Can they return to that elevated state? So this is all mythology. None of this is in the story, right? This is all, and so let's talk about the cave. Because all of this comes together in the Midrashim about Caleb. In the double cave called the cave of the Machpelah, which means the doubled cave. There's a famous story that the reason Abraham chose it. And again, this is not in the wheat kernel of the Torah. It's in the bread that got made out of it. It says Abraham ran to get a calf to feed the three strangers who had come to visit him way back in Genesis. He ran to get a calf. And there's a Midrash that he followed the calf into the cave, that's how he discovered the cave. And that when he went into the cave, he saw a light at the end of the cave and went through into the secluded portion. And there was the grave of Adam and Eve who are buried in the Midrash in the garden of Eden where the tree of life is. And so Abraham said, I've got to have, I've got to have this. This is the place I want to be buried. And I want my ancestors to be buried, my descendants to be buried here at the entrance to the Garden of Eden where the tree of life grows. And so with that Midrash in mind, Caleb is the only one who, can, who ascends to Hebron because Moses asked, go up to the land. Is the tree there or is it just nothing? The tree of life. That's where the Midrash goes. This is not a quest to reconnoiter the land and see if we can conquer it. That is the plain meaning of the text. The... the, the um, the, uh, the, the spiritual interpretation is, we are going up to the land to find access once again to the tree of life. Caleb is the only one who does it. None of them else can do it. Since he knows how to access, has the courage and the strength to access that land That place, that that doorway, um, that height, he's the one who gets to enter the promised land. None of them else can. They're not capable of it. They are constrained by their lack of sense of possibility. So, you know, did Martin Luther King ever get to the promised land? No. Did we? No. What does it mean then to say I've seen the promised land? You know, it it means that the vision is alive in us. Somehow, despite all of life's disappointments, limitations, constraints, we have a dream, right? So we are elevated by that. Vision. That's Caleb. And the way Caleb is described, in, here, let me share this screen again. The way Caleb is described in chapter 14, verse 24. None of those involved, says God, who have witnessed, beheld my presence, and seen the signs that I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, and who have tried me these many times and have disobeyed me, none of them shall see the land that I promised to their fathers, their ancestors. None of those who spurn me shall see it. You won't see it. This isn't a punishment. It's just what is. But my servant Caleb, he, he was imbued with a different spirit by Acharai, says, and remained loyal to me. What's Malay? Full. He was full of me filled with life unfolding. Only him will I bring into the land that he entered and his offspring shall inherit it. What is it about Caleb? That's that's the, that's the title of this. What is it about Caleb? He's filled with a different spirit. He's filled with life unfolding. I know you've heard me say this before But the word enthusiasm comes from the Greek and means filled with God, entheos. Deborah says, so could it be that we will encounter giants who seem more powerful than we are when we are traveling to that higher place? Absolutely. But what are giants? Giants are the Obstacles that scare us away. That keep, that say, "Oh, I, no way, I can do that. No way." Right? He tilted at giants, says uh, John Goodman. Yeah, tilted at windmills. Uh, uh, Martin Luther King was in sync with this portion. Martin Luther King, as I've said many times, is one of my top rabbis of our time. Uh, Naomi says, you won't see the possibility of the promised land. You can't picture it or dream of it. And Marcia says, but MLK had the vision. He saw possibilities. He wasn't scared. Of course, we know from his diaries that he was scared from time to time because there's no way not to be scared sometimes, especially when your life and family are being threatened. But, he said in the day night before he was assassinated in one of the most astonishing speeches of ever i fear no man i've been to the mountaintop and i've seen the promised land my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the lord i may not get there with you know hallelujah we're going to make it or as Reb Nachman says Joan says the the essence is not to be afraid as we cross the narrow Bridge so only my servant Caleb gets to enter this land this state of consciousness this This fulfillment of our human potential. That's Caleb. And it says that over and over again, verse 30, it says, not one shall enter the land in which I swore to sell you save Caleb, son of Uphuna and Joshua, son of Nun. And then again, of those involved in going to scout the land, only Joshua, son of Nun and Caleb, son of Yifuneth, remained alive, And then it says, I'm gonna spin way ahead. Later in the book of Numbers, it says again, it's a very long chapter. 65 for and I had said of them they shall die in the wilderness not one of them survived except Caleb son of Euphet and Joshua son of Nun. and then in chapter 32 why it's another long chapter. Uh, In chapter 32, it says, none except Caleb, son of Yefuneh, and Joshua, son of Nun, for they remained loyal. Ki milu, they were filled with the spirit of Yoteva. Maleh, that's the Hebrew word. And then in Deuteronomy, almost there, oh, I have to go all the way back to get to Deuteronomy. Okay, sorry, gang. In Deuteronomy, it says, Moses says, none of those involved, this evil generation, shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers. says God, none except Caleb, son of Euphune. He shall see it. And to him and his descendants, will I give the land on which he set foot because he was me he was full of the spirit of life unfolding. Then I'm gonna share with you, Joshua. Filled with the spirit, thank you. Now I'm going to show you, hold on, how am I doing here? Uh Book of Joshua. This amazing passage, this passage I love. Okay, let me share my screen again. Whoops. <laughs> Too many buttons. There we go. The children of the tribe of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, son of Euphrates, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the instructions Yerehavaveh gave at Kadesh Barnea, the man of God, concerning you and me, to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me. Everybody, this is 40 years later, okay? The incident we're reading in our portion today is this is now 40 years later, 45 years later. Caleb says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of yod sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land and ashevo todavar Kasher im And I gave him a forthright report. Come on, Hebrew people. I responded to him, Im from my heart. The my companions, Asher Alu Imi, who went up with me. Him et lev haam. They took the heart out of the people. Isn't this beautiful? Banochi, Mileti, I was filled with the spirit of Yod my God. Caleb continues his speech. On that day, Moses promised on oath the land on which your foot trod shall be a portion for you and your descendants forever because you were loyal. No, Mileta, you were filled with the spirit. My God. And so now Caleb says, God has kept me alive. I'm still alive. As he promised 45 years ago to Moses when Israel was journeying through the wilderness. Here I am today. Ben Chamesh Ushmonim Shana, 85 years old. I like this. I'm 85. He can still do push ups, you know. It's like it's really good. So uh, and he says, Odeni Hayom Chazak Ka'asher Biyom Oti I am still as strong today as on the day that Moses sent me. az my strength is the same, is now as it was then. To do battle and to come and to go. This is a beautiful line. Remember, Moses says to the scouts, strengthen yourselves. And what's the rest of that line? I don't wanna go scrolling all the way back, just a sec. But I'm, here we go. And bring back fruit of the land. So Caleb's strength, what is the strength at 85? So now Tanali give me the mountain. Hazeh, this mountain that God spoke of that day. ki Though you too heard on that day that the giants are there and fortified cities. I said, but God will be with us and we will inherit this land. So Joshua blessed Caleb and gave him Hebron as his portion. And Hebron became the portion of Caleb, as it is to this day, because he was filled with the spirit of life unfolding. And the land had rest from war. The Haaretz. Remember the land always shakta sheket Limilchama. The land had rest from war. So Caleb heart is as strong as it was when he was 40 and he's 85. Whereas the the other scouts took the heart out of the people. Here's what I wrote. The Torah speaks in our dreams where you are the landscape and the Torah is the map. Part of me is the children of Israel, fearful, untrusting, damaged. But part of me is Caleb, all heart unbowed by life's hardships and betrayals, seeking the tree of life. As strong today as when Moses first sent me to scout out the promised land. No matter where life has taken us, we can be like Caleb, 100% heart, Kalev. We can continue our journey with courage, compassion, and heart, stronger than ever. So may it be. Filled with the spirit of Yotei Babe. It says it over and over and over again. Not shrinking from life, not shrinking ourselves, not thinking we're just a grasshopper. If our mouths, says Abigail, were filled as water, if our mouths were filled like the ocean. filled with water and our mouths are filled with song yes something worthy to strive for let's go all the way back to the beginning taking the kernels of wheat that life gives us and using our god-given abilities to transform them into something nourishing and tasty and delightful and rich that we can set before our friends that's a great food metaphor but it can also be how we transmute life into something nourishing for everyone else by being like Caleb and Abigail says and you are our holy elevator operator taking us to a higher level. <laughs> Thanks Abigail. I've said this before but it's one of my um, what do you call it Watchwords, one of those things you just carry with you all the time When Ellen and I needed to see a a counselor many years ago um, when we were, one of our kids was having a tough time. Um, uh, She said, as I'll just say it. She said, when you have, when you take the down elevator, you don't have to take it to the bottom floor. Since you're talking about elevators. I always remember that. You know how you get in your own particular kind of tailspin, each one of us has it? You don't have to ride it all the way to the bottom. Get off the damn thing and keep going and keep directing, you know, I love that. I'm glad you liked that reading, Meg, thank you. I'm delighted because I'm quoting Midrash, you know, and the thing the rabbis knew was they they knew the whole Torah. So when they see Caleb in here in the book of Numbers, they know Caleb in the book of Joshua. They got the whole ark. And so they can, so it was through Midrash that I came to, that I uh, uh, learned these insights. That's beautiful. Midrash is that baking, that baking and preparing and grinding and chopping. and putting in the je ne sais quoi in special sauce that uh, not to mention the yeast that in this case can lift everything up, can aerate that hard nut and make it something that's full of spaciousness and delight. Thanks everybody. Jones says, that's why they call it batter. You take a beating and you come out strong. Well said, well said.